The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Let's pray. Lord, it's good to be together as a church body this morning. We each carry into this gathering today our own stories of joy as well as concerns, victories and burdens, pains and stories of healing, and yet we're united together as one, as your body, and together we look to you. Uh, We look to you, our Father, as the giver and sustainer of life. And it's you that we come to worship. It's you that we look to as the center of our life and being. We lift up those in our fellowship today, um, just who need an extra measure of your grace. There's a lot we're dealing with, health issues, um, financial struggles in this difficult economy. Still others dealing with stresses at work and employment. We pray, Lord, that you'd comfort your people. We pray for your comfort, Lord, both here and far away, especially uh, we lift up our brothers and sisters and so many in Ukraine dealing with the horrible realities of war. We lift up Pastor Randall this morning as he teaches. We thank you for him. We thank you for the gifts you've given him. We thank you for your word that we get to hear this morning. May it go forth, Lord. May it teach us, instruct us, and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right, good morning, everyone. Am I on? It's good? All right. Um, 
If this is your first time here, my name is Randall, uh, pastor of Grace City, and it's great to see you this morning. Um, if you're just joining us today, we've been going through the book of Isaiah, and so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 50, uh, verses 4 through 10. Um, again, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles outside at the Resource 10. We'd love to give that to you uh, for free. Uh, we just hope that uh, you get into this uh, word right here and uh, that you grow, that you learn more about Jesus, and so just thankful that you're here this morning. Um, now, we have Easter just a few weeks away, and we've been going through the book of Isaiah because Isaiah, uh, maybe more than any other prophet in the Old Testament, helps us to understand Jesus and the life of Jesus and, and really different parts of Jesus' life and ministry that we might not see specifically in the New Testament, but happened in his life. And we see some of that today in our text from Isaiah chapter 50. Um, and so Isaiah is quoted um, in the New Testament more than any other prophet. And so Isaiah is important to helping us understand who Jesus is and, and the message of the gospel. Uh, so today our message is understanding the cost. Understanding the cost. Uh, recently, I gathered with some friends that are, are pastors or leaders in the city um, that are doing really great work all over the city uh, for, for God. And I was sitting there listening, and we were sharing a little bit about our churches, and I was listening to one friend in particular, uh, my friend Chris. And Chris is a pastor in Logan Heights. Uh, the name of his church is Servant Church. A few weeks ago, our friend uh, Oliver, uh, we, we prayed him out and sent him over to that church. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful church family. But he was explaining uh, the name of this church. And he said, our church is uh, Servant Church. He said, it's, it's not Servant's Church, it's, it's Servant Church. He says, we want to be servants, but really the focus of our church is on the servant, Jesus. He said, if, if we were to think about our community and the people that are in our community, they think about church and, and actually they don't have really good thoughts about church because they think that the church is there actually to take from them. But he said the church should be there to serve the people, to serve the community. So he said our, our focus at Servant Church is to, to be servants because of the servant, Jesus, who came to serve us. He says, we've been talking about Jesus. What we're seeing is that um, he is uh, a servant. And so as we've looked at Isaiah, and we think about uh, the broken world that we live in, right? Because we, we live in a broken world, that God's answer to a broken world is not an argument or a pep talk or a scolding or even a God that comes in on a high horse and says, Look at me, follow me, do, do what I do. But we see a, a suffering servant is God's answer to a suffering and broken world. That's God's answer. See, this is made strikingly clear to us in four passages that we've been looking at in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, we talked about Isaiah 49. Isaiah 50, which we're going to look at today. And next week, we're going to look at Isaiah 53. Now, all these passages in Isaiah are called the songs of the suffering servant. And isn't that a beautiful depiction? Songs, because even today as we sang songs, songs are meant to bring specific ideas into our mind. They help us to learn, to grow, 
And specifically songs, these songs are helpful to us to learn more about God. And so we're going to learn about the suffering servant through these songs or these poems. And they they paint this picture of of who God is and, and how he relates to his people. So who is this suffering servant? Well, again, the New Testament is very clear that this suffering servant is Jesus. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul writes in verses 5 through 8, this is called the kenosis passage, but this is, this is one of those really important passages in Scripture. But it says this, Having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Derek Thomas once said, he says, the gospel is not God loves us, but God loves us at the cost of his son. It's not just this grand idea that God loves, but there there was a cost associated with God's love. See, why is it many times that, that, the, that, that the love that we understand of, of God doesn't really penetrate into our hearts because we don't see the cost? And what it cost God was his son. And how did his son come? As a suffering servant. That's how he came. You know, this week my son went on his first trip. Uh, he's a sixth grader. And he spent some time away from us, right? And, and, and so that was the first time that he'd been away from us. Like without, you know, it's like he'd been with his grandparents, but he's never been out on like a school trip before with people that aren't his parents, right? And so he's a sixth grader, but I'm telling you, I was thinking about him all the time. It was like we were just like bound to each other. Even though we weren't in the the, the presence of each other, it was like I was thinking about him all the time. And I want you to know that when we read this passage about a suffering servant, that there is pain involved, that there's, there's a father's love that is like bound up in the son. That is, we we need to see that today because that's going to help us to understand the cost. And so our text is Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 10. And this is the third of the four songs. And from this song, what do we learn about Jesus and who he is? Here's what we learn. Number one, number one is what's inside of him. What's inside of him. Number two, what happened to him. And number three, what it means for us. Okay, so what's inside of him what happened to him, what it means for us. So the first one is what's inside of him. Look at verses four through five. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. What's happening? Well, 
what's happening here is this is a depiction in different aspects of what was inside the suffering servant. What was inside of him? Well, what we find in the New Testament is that when Jesus was tempted by Satan, what did he say? Matthew 4, 4 came out of the suffering servant. Here's how he answers when he's being tempted. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What we see here about Jesus and the life of Jesus is that in verse 4, it says that there was a consistency about his life. A consistency. Look at that. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Now, this is interesting for us, and sometimes, you know, we, we don't really fully understand what, what, what this is, is talking about here. But in Luke 2, 52, it tells us about Jesus when Jesus was young. It's one of the only passages that we find about Jesus when he was young. We don't have like this whole uh, book filled with different stories of Jesus when he was young. I think there's a, there's a purpose to that. We can talk about that. But Luke 2.52 says this about Jesus. It says he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, from the beginning, submitted himself, surrendered himself to the law of God. And uh, this isn't going to be on the screen, but, but one man, uh, David Mathis, was talking about this. He says this. He says this about Jesus and about the life of Jesus. He says the ancient creed confesses his, Jesus' his full humanity in both body and inner person. Jesus is both truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul and body. Sometimes here's what we think about Jesus. We think that Jesus took a shortcut. We think that Jesus took the shortcut and, you know, like he really didn't live the full life like you and me. He really didn't have to go through the suffering and the challenges like you and me. But listen to what he says. And this is, uh, he says, having a true human body, Jesus was born, he grew, he thirsted, he hungered, he wept, he slept, he sweated, he bled, and he died. No human, not even the God-man himself skips the growth and maturation process. And no true growth is one-dimensional, but both toward God and man with all the attendant pains. Don't begrudge God and the glory of your long, arduous maturation process. In it, you are tasting the growing pains that Jesus knows very well. And he stands ready to help you persevere until God's process is, is complete. Here's the thing. As Isaiah is writing this, again, we're talking about 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. What he's saying is that the Son of God did not skip any steps. He didn't skip any steps. But fully embraced being human, yet God. And that's why it says, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. You ever thought to yourself, God doesn't understand me. Yeah, 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 I know like God cares about me, but God doesn't know what I'm going through. God doesn't have any idea what I'm going through. 
You know, one of the, the scriptures that just gets me every time is when it talks about Jesus in uh, John 8. And it was um, in that passage that it talks about him. And they, the, 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 the Pharisees are all around him and they're, they're looking at him and they're, they're, he's, he's sharing all of the truths of God with them. And they don't want to hear it. But they look at him and they say, well, at least we weren't born out of wedlock. That, that, that was their comeback. That was the rumor that was circling around Jesus his whole life. You know the story of Mary and Joseph, right? You know that the Holy Spirit came to Mary and, and Jesus was conceived. But it wasn't through Joseph, but through the Holy Spirit. And, and everyone looked at Joseph and Mary like they were the ones who had this baby out of wedlock, but that Jesus grew up his whole life looking like that. Right? This, this, this is, that, 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 the fact that Jesus could understand the broken. Remember what we talked about, that, that, that he doesn't break those, like, like a bruised reed he does not break, but that Jesus knows how to gently deal with people who are struggling, Right? We're talking about the Son of God here. And yet Jesus didn't skip any steps. Look at what next. Um, Mark one thirty five says this. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. See, how important do you think it is, do I think it is, to spend time with God? Not just like sometimes, but like every single day. Because what we find out here is morning by morning, he awakens. Jesus, the son of God, awakens and prayed. Jesus, who lived the perfect life, learned the word. Friends, to read things like this convicts me to think, hold on, how many times do I think I can make it throughout the day without praying or without reading God's word? You know what I mean? Like I had to really confront this this week in my own heart. Because I was like, how many times do I think I've got it? Like I can go through the day without this, but the son of God didn't. You know what I mean? Like the son of God. See, how important do I think it is to, to spend time with God? Jesus did it every day. Every day of his life. And there was a constancy to this. Look, look at verse five. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. So, what this is saying is that the, the suffering servant didn't turn his back on God's ways. Even when things got difficult, even when trials came, that he perfectly lived out the life that we were meant to live. This week I was talking about my wife. She's a teacher. She teaches kindergartners. And she was talking about this... Um, 
this parent that talked to her, she's like, he, he was saying that he uh, had this encounter with his, his child this past week. My wife was teaching the difference between facts and opinions. And so the father walks into son's room this week, looks at the room and, and looks at his son and says, the room is a mess. The son looked back and says, well, dad, that's your opinion <laughs> that my room is a mess right now. And the father was, no, <laughs> this is a fact, son. Let me tell you about facts right here, right? These are facts. These are opinions. That's what that means. Miss Tanini, what are you teaching our kids? Right? <laughs> no. When it comes to the word of God, what Jesus and the life of Jesus is saying is that he didn't come to, to God's word as opinions. He came to it as facts. And he lived his life fully under the facts of what God had set out. Jesus is the word. Right? And so what we see here is that we can fall into the trap of just believing that this is just a bunch of opinions. Jesus encountered a man in Mark 10, verses 17 through 22, called the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler encounters Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and, and he, he says, you know, like, Jesus, what, what, do I, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you gotta, you gotta follow all the commands. All the commands. And listen to this, this young man's response. Verse 20, he says, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now some of us think to ourselves, okay, well, to, to follow God, does that mean I gotta give all my possessions away? It's not unless you understand that there was already the young ruler who came from heaven to earth and gave all his possessions away for you. That's when you know. Basically, what he was saying to the rich young ruler is, you want my job? You think that you can live perfectly? You think you can do this? You think you've been doing this since your youth? Okay, let me test you. Let me press a little bit one way. Give all you have away. Give all your possessions away. And what did he do? He walked away disheartened. If you and I think that Christianity is about us doing what Jesus did, friends, we've missed the point. We've missed it. Because all of Christianity is wrapped up in what Jesus has done for us. Friends, have you from youth, morning by morning, woken and said, God, lead me? What's your word say today? Direct me every morning? Pastors confessing, I have not. Okay, prayed morning by morning, fully surrendered myself to the will of God. Friends, if I think that Christianity is about me doing this perfectly, I will walk away disheartened too. All of us would. 
but the gospel message is that there was a suffering servant who did this perfectly in our place. And it's not about us saying, okay, well, that's your opinion. God says, I only deal with facts. And Jesus was pressing on the facts of this young man's life. And just one question, his life crumbled. Friends, if God were to press into our lives, none of us would stand. Remember Isaiah chapter 6. Remember what happened to Isaiah. He says, I'm ruined. Augustine, early church father, once said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. What is the whole gospel message? He's pointing us, not to ourselves, but to God. What Isaiah is showing us here is is that when Jesus was pressed, what came out of him? Well, we see that next. Uh, The second point is what happened to him, verse 6 through 7. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. See, what happened to the suffering servant? Well, this is talked about in past tense. It's crazy. It's talked about here in past tense. There's there's different scriptures in in the Bible. We talked about this in Genesis chapter 3, where basically God gives this promise. He says, My promise is as good as gold. Like it is pure, it is gonna happen. And so again, 700 years before Jesus walks the earth, Isaiah is writing this this specific prophecy down. And for many of us, we read these scriptures and we're like, oh yeah, I know what that's talking about. Right, when Isaiah was writing this, people didn't know what he was talking about, okay? But when we read this, we know what he's talking about. And specifically, he says this. He says in verse 6, he says, I gave my back to those who strike. What do we remember? Jesus being struck with the whip. Crucifixion. Wasn't invented at the time, but we see that he's prophesying about this here. And my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Now, Matthew 27 talks about this. Mark 15 talks about this. John 19 talks about this, about the life of Jesus, right? And we're talking about preparing our hearts as we think about Easter. But I want to focus specifically on what came out of him. Okay, we know, we know that Jesus was beaten up. We know that, that, that the crucifixion happened. This is historical things that, that, that are set in history. Even when he says, like, um, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. What is this? This is the ultimate form of humiliation. This is the ultimate form of Jesus being uh, taken before people and exposed. What we see is that people are saying, you're a fraud. You're a fraud. And so what they would do in, in Hebrew culture is they would rip out the beard. This was like just kind of a known thing that if you were a fraud, if you were a liar, if you were exposed anyway, then they would rip out the beard. 
But what came out of him when all of this was happening? Happening. It's this, that, the, that Jesus believed that he was ultimately doing what was right, even though everything on the outside seemed like he was a fool and he was wrong. And there's this internal fortitude in him because look at verse seven. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Hold on, what, what was the most disgraceful thing that could have happened in their culture? Ripping out the beard, being put on a cross. He says, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. Flint is like the hardest stone. So basically, he's saying, I've, I've made this decision that I'm gonna keep going, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. That ultimately, his life would not be for nothing. There's an internal fortitude where he believed that he was not disgraced, he set so much so that he's going to follow it all the way through to the very end. He's not going to give up. There's this passage in Luke 9, 51. It's the turning point. If you want to know like what the middle, central part of the book of Luke is, it is Luke 9, 51. What does it say in Luke 9, 51? That he set his face toward Jerusalem. That is the center of the book. It's where everything shifts. Everything shifts from that point and everything is pointing towards Jerusalem. What happens in Jerusalem? Jesus' crucifixion. That that is the turning point. He says, I have set my face like flint. I shall not be put to shame. See, what is it that's inside of him? After knowing what happened to him, what's inside of him? He's not discouraged. He knows that whatever's coming at him on the outside doesn't define him on the inside. Why? Because he knows this. Because this is coming out of him in his most difficult moments. And what's it mean for us? If Jesus lived like this, if Jesus did all of these things, what does that mean for us? Look at verses 8 through 10. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So the word here that he uses here is vindicates me. And for all of us, this word is important. You know, we live in a culture that, that we love um, law, we love justice, we love seeing people be exposed, right? I mean, I was talking about this with my wife this week. It's like everything right now is like this expose to show how these people are frauds, right? One of the things that uh, she's been watching recently is this uh, show, uh, The Dropout. It's about this lady, uh, Elizabeth Holmes. And basically, it's, it's kind of taking from her early life into her later life where she was exposed for uh, selling a product that wasn't real. 
Um, she started a company called Theranos, and um, there's this point where my wife's like, you got to watch this, and so I'm like watching it and watching it, <laughs> and, but there was this point that there was, uh, she goes to this professor, and she's, she's talking, she's like, I want to I start, uh, start a company, here's what I want to do, I want to be a billionaire, and all this other stuff. She had all these dreams, all these ideas, and this professor looked at her, and basically saw right through her. And she walked out. And she never had that kind of response before, so she goes and chases the professor down, and this professor looks at her and says, you're going to use a Yoda quote with me? You know, like, do, do not do, you know, there is no try. Like, don't use a Yoda quote with me. She's like, this isn't Yoda. Like, I'm not Yoda. This is the real world. Okay? Sorry, any Star Wars fans. But that's what she says. And then she, she goes and she starts pressing her and asking her all these questions. And she starts pressing her. She's like, you don't want to do the work. You don't want to do the process. You don't want to, you, you just want the end result. You don't want to do that. And basically what she was doing was she was exposing her for what she was. And this is a picture of a courtroom. And Jesus is standing in the courtroom. And basically he's saying that there's all of these accusers who are coming, accusing him. And as Jesus is being pressed and asked questions, he says, who of you can come and question the life that he lived and what he did? He says, who's going to be able to stand? He says, he who vindicates me is near. Friends, you and I can live a life of self-justification, arguing our case of how good we are, of all the things that we've done, of all of our accomplishments, of all of these things. Or what Jesus is saying is, look at this. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. He says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? What's he doing? He's inviting all of us, any of us, to say, stop it with the act. Stop it with the quote. Stop it with all this stuff that you haven't done. And stop holding on to things that you have done. And you want to know what's going to vindicate you before God? You want to know what's going to make you right with God? There's actually one. He says this. He says, you know, trust in his name. Rely on his God. What's that name? The name that we don't see here written out, spilled out in the book of Isaiah, but we know it to be true from all that the New Testament says because of what we see in the life of Jesus, it's that it is Jesus. It's Jesus. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life.
There's a word that Jesus uses here. He says, who is my adversary? Who's my adversary? One of the things that has been testing me as a dad, as my, my kids are getting older, is they are, at times, it feels like not my kids, but my enemy. They are just testing me all the time. They're just pushing me like, like, Dad, we don't want to listen. We're doing our own thing and all this stuff. And what I've found is that they might feel like I'm the enemy at the time because I tell them, hey, this is the way. But deep down in my heart, I'm not their enemy. I love them. I'm not the picture of what they're painting me to be right now. And what happens in our lives is that we do the same thing with God. We say, well, God, you've, you've kind of set these things in place and they, they feel really rigid to me and I don't know if I can come under this because I don't know who you are and I don't know what this looks like and I just want to tell you that Jesus lived out the rigidity that you feel like is the hardest thing to live out. And he says, I know you didn't live it out right. I know you didn't live it perfectly. Hey, let's, let's talk together. Let's reason together. Like, all I'm asking you is to trust in me and not in yourself. Start there. And what feels like a narrow road, because that's what he says it is, opens up and becomes this beautiful road of life of life, where your life, you might have to go in through the narrow door where it's like, okay, it's, it's through Jesus, and I get that, and I understand that, but then what happens is as you enter that door, life starts to open up. You're like, man, I didn't know it was like this. See, what does this mean for us? Well, Alec Matir, who's a commentator, says, there are two sorts of people. The one sort has no light but obeys the word of the Lord's servant by facing the darkness with trust and reliance. Faces the darkness. We don't run from the darkness in us. We face it. We say, okay, Lord, I gotta trust you. I just gotta rely on you. The others seek to conquer the darkness by fires of their own making. Hughes, as he lived in obedience, trust and reliance, so do those who model themselves on him. Friends, are you going to say, okay, God, I need you to clean up the mess of my life, or are you going to try to clean it up yourself? Is basically what he's saying. And we don't even understand what he's ultimately saved us from, the cost of what he saved us from. In May 2011, there was an article entitled, the Japanese mayor who was laughed at for building a huge seawall until his village was left almost untouched by a tsunami. It was written about the, after the devastating tsunami on Japan's northeast coast. And, and the author writes this. He says, One former Japanese mayor is being hailed as a savior after the grandiose construction allowed his small town to uh, allowed his small town to escape the devastation wrought by the March 11th tsunami. And the rubble of J Japan's northeast coast, Fudai, 
stands as tall as ever after. No homes were swept away. In fact, they barely got wet. The floodgate project was criticized as wasteful in the 1970s. But the gate and an equally high seawall behind the community's adjacent fishing port uh, protected this community from the waves that obliterated so many other towns. Since the tsunami, residents have been visiting his grave to pay respects. Here's what they say. It costs a lot of money. But without it, Fudai would have disappeared. The mayor who died in 1997 at age 88 left office three years after the floodgate was completed. At his retirement, he stood before the village employees to bid farewell. Even if you encounter opposition, have conviction and finish what you start. In the end, people will understand. In the end, people will understand. As Jesus was having his beard ripped out, as Jesus was on his way to the cross, as Jesus endured the pain and the punishment that we deserved, he's saying to us in the end, you'll understand. You'll understand. Just some takeaways real quickly. Number one, what comes out of you is a sign of what's sustaining you. What comes out of you is a sign of what's sustaining you. What came out of Jesus while he was suffering? God's word. See, I know this. Many of us have lived this life and, and we've been embarrassed, torn down, cheated, betrayed, lied to, lied about. My question is not what happened to you, but what's coming out of you. What's coming out of you? When you and I go through hard times, what comes to your mind, what comes to your, out of your mouth? This could be a sign of what we're leaning on to sustain us. And what we find as Jesus is being pressed is that the word of God starts to come out of him. Right? And as you and I are pressed, like what's coming out of us? Because Luke 6, 45 tells us that what's stored up in our heart will come out. It will come out. So friends, will we lean on God's word and what he says to help us and sustain us in this time? See, some of us, and this happens for me too, you might not know the exact reference point. But something comes to your mind and it comes out of you. And you're like, that, it, was, it was God's word. Right? And I just want to tell you that's an encouragement. That's a start. That's a good thing. You know, they're, they're, they're like, you're like, I don't exactly know in the Bible where it is, but it's, it's coming out right now and something's come to my mind and my heart. And what I'm saying is sharpen that. Sharpen that. Lean into that. Get to know what that is. That's a good thing. It's going to sustain you and help you. For some of us, we don't know where to start. And I just want to tell you, like right now, I got five of these devotionals. Devotionals are good. They're helpful. Okay, you don't know where to start. But this is a, a, a devotional called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. I've got five of these up here. I'll give it to you for free. 
Bought them this week. I said, hey, if you want to, if you're like, I don't know where to start, here, I will give this to you. I've handed out tons of these, but these are helpful, right? But it gets you into God's word. This week, I was reading this devotional, God's, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And this one right here is a scripture, Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining even brighter to the full day of, uh, light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And here's what he says. This is, this is from Timothy Keller. He writes this. He says, the darkness represents increasing self-deception. We say, I'm not proud, just confident. I'm not abrasive, just direct. I'm not, uh, wait, yeah, I'm not greedy, just sharp in business. The more we follow the path of self, the more we live in denial until when life breaks down, we don't know what makes us stumble. On the other hand, those growing in grace take the path shining even brighter. They say more about God and themselves that they were denying. Why? The gospel so assures us of God's love that we are finally capable of admitting the worst about ourselves. I don't have to pretend anymore. I can admit it, but I can know that that's, it's gonna get brighter for me as I start to admit the truth because God's light is breaking in. The second thing, where you look for help is a sign of where you're finding security. Where do you look to for help? Verse seven, the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. The Lord God helps me. Where are you looking to first? Am I looking to myself? Am I just trying to pump myself up, say I'm good enough and I can do this? Others, am I looking to others to just say, well, that's where my approval is? What I own, my possessions, all of those things, that's what makes me? No. Remind yourself that God is there, he's with you, that he is the one who vindicates you and gives you worth and security. He's the one who tells you who you are. Charles Spurgeon once said, the most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. It's a habit, friends, that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you say, it's not of anything that I've done, but everything that God's done for me and that he loves me and cares for me because of what? The cost that it took for him to make me his child. It cost him something. See, do you see the cost? Luke 23, 34 says this. And Jesus said, while he's on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. They cast lots to divide his garments. This picture reminds us that Jesus lost everything. Every earthly possession that he had was gambled for at the cross. We think it's gonna be in our possessions that we put our hope That'll leave us too. But what is it in the end? Why did he do this? Why did he face the poverty, the rejection? Why did he face this moment of of everyone looking at him as the failure? So that you and I could be looked at as his kids so that you and I could understand the cross and the grace that it cost him to die for us. Why do you do that for you and me? It costs Jesus everything so that you and I can receive the forgiveness and grace that will heal our lives. And that's where the light breaks through. Do you see that today? 
Do you see what it cost him? I pray you do, because that's a great place to start. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, that it wasn't cheap grace, it was costly grace that bought us. Lord, it cost you everything. That the Father that it costs the Son. And that today, Lord, we can know that this costly grace meets us where we're at. Help us to see it more clearly, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.